Hey guys, just a quick heads up. We had to have a last minute name change to the podcast because it conflicted with another uh, podcast already on the iTunes store. So in the future, we will be known as the They Might Be Heroes podcast. Uh, Just wanted to let everyone know that to lessen some confusion. You are listening to They Might Be Heroes, a D&D podcast with your host, Jim Larson. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Band of Misfits podcast. I'm Brigham Larson, your intrepid host, and welcome to this inaugural episode of our podcast. Um, with me tonight, we have Eric Taylor, Hello. Uh, Brandon Matthews, what is going on? We have his lovely wife, Karen Matthews, forget the craziness. Um, Mache Creekmore. Did I say that right? Chickmore? <laughs> Mache. Mache. Creekmore. Creekmore. Sorry. Apologies it's for okay. any names that I may mispronounce. And we also have with us tonight my own wife, Holly Larson. Hello, hello. And welcome again to this first episode of our um, D&D Adventures. We're going to uh, start off the night with um, some descriptions of our characters and to kind of handle the top of this round and to talk about this, I'd like to take the t- uh, turn the time over to Eric. All right, everybody. So I am the Dungeon Master for the Band of Misfits podcast, and we're actually just going to jump right in and we'll describe characters as we go around and see what everybody's doing. Um, last time we played, uh, if you haven't listened to the posted episode for the feedback that we're going to post here shortly, um, not the feedback, sorry, the the recap of what has happened in the three sessions before this one. Our heroes have recently jumped forward in time mistakenly. They were attempting to go back in time and on accident, they've arrived forward in time to a future that has kind of been destroyed. And as it turns out, most of the destruction in the future is their fault um, in the past. So they've got to work together to get that fixed and get that taken care of. What we're going to do, excuse me, is we are finding them aboard the airship that they acquired in the last episode with their Captain Wicket. And Wicket is showing them up to the bridge through a few corridors. And that's where we'll kick off. So Wicket turns and he looks over at um, the party and he looks at each of you and he says, follow me, follow me, and heads up toward the bridge. And you're kind of left standing in this corridor watching him move up toward what appears to be the bridge area. Well, I think so, it's universally safe to say we should probably follow him. Yeah. I don't know. He's a smelly little gnome. I don't know if I trust him yet. Ugh. Fair. <laughs> but in fairness, he doesn't really smell. He's, he's fairly hygienic, as you've noticed. But you step Says up you, on the I'm bridge. the one with the enhanced smelling senses, the dragonborn here. I should be able to tell if he smells, right? Well, I, I know Wicket, so I'm, of course, following him. Okay. So you step up onto the bridge, and the bridge is fairly utilitarian. There's a big, huge chair that Wicket kind of steps over to this little platform and pumps this lever and this um kind of hydraulic lift lifts him up so he can more or less step onto the big huge chair 
it's clear that when he designed the chair, yeah, he was clearly compensating for being a gnome. But he <laughs> sits in the chair and he spins the chair around. And as you look around, you see what appear to be ants. Um, and there's probably six of them on the bridge at this point. And they, they're very humanoid ants. They're walking up on two feet. They actually only have two feet and two arms. But they have the whole carapace external skeleton thing. Um, divided into the subsections, you know, the thorax and all that. And their heads are very clearly insectoid. Um, and they don't appear to, they appear to be transmitting sounds, kind of these clicks and whistles, but they're nothing that's really intelligible to you. And Wicket spins his chair back around as he realizes that you're all kind of staring at these people. And he says, oh, don't, don't mind the, <clears throat> excuse me, don't mind the crew. These are the Formians. We we rescued them from the Kezrakai. The they're they're immune to Kezrakai magic, and so of course they were they were sought out by the Kezrakai soldiers to be slain because of that powerful ability. And we've recruited the survivors, and they help fly the airships in the resistance. So pay them no mind. Come come sit. And he slams his fist down kind of hard, you know, for a gnome on his console and presses this big button and these chairs kind of shoot up all around in a semicircle. And they're not so much chairs as they are stools, but he motions for you to sit and he hits another button on the other side. And you can't tell if he hits it because he's excited or he's hitting it because the buttons are too hard to press for a gnome. But when he hits <laughs> it, this um, panel kind of cracks open in front of you and you're able to see out through the sort of transparent skin of the airship. And he says... My friends, welcome aboard the Whippoorwill. Um. <laughs> <laughs> nice view going on here, guys. Below you, you can see the, the forested landscape. You know, what's left of it. It's pretty clear that there's been a war here, and a lot of it's been cut down for engines and things like that but it it's there are dots of forest everywhere and you can tell you're traveling at quite a clip and he turns his chair back around to face the seats that he sets up and he says well what do you think um well i'm impressed there you go tom is going to take a seat in one of the chairs for the most part, his attention will be on the landscape, which is apparently quite rapidly passing beneath him. But you can, anybody who's paying even the slightest bit of attention to him can tell that he every so often turns to look at one of the Formians. He, you know, he basically tries to hide it. You know, as soon as he thinks someone's noticing, he immediately stops looking at them. But as soon as he thinks he's not being watched again, he's going to stare at them with a look of worry on his face. Okay, and go ahead and describe Tom physically for us while we're on. All right, all right. Let me pull up my character sheet here with the attached notes. All right, Tom is a human male. He is. He's not. He's kind of you know halfway between. He looks like he's, you know, fairly young, but at the same time, a lot of lines of worry and fear have kind of made his face appear older than it really is. Uh, he's about six foot. He's um, he's not really muscular or anything, but he is, you know, fairly well toned. He's about, uh, <clears throat> he's kind of swaddled in this, you know, black robe with a black hooded cloak. It's got a white 
trimmed. It looks like it's almost partly metallic, but it's not. Um, he keeps the hood up most of the time to conceal his eyes, which he it's it's an affectation that he doesn't really need to maintain, but he tries to keep attention away from him at all costs. And if you listen to the recap episodes, you probably know why he's terrified of what's inside him. Um, the default expression on his face tends to be one of slightly afraid of whatever's going on around him. But for the most part, he looks like a guy who's very much trying to not be noticed, even when that's not really possible. He is wearing a pair of fairly shiny black gloves. Um, that. That too. He does have the shiny black leather gloves on. Yep. And he has at his waist, he has a thick green rod that kind of has this, it looks like it was snapped off and it's very crystalline. So it looks like if you snapped off a. Yes. I, I did forget what my, uh, my new weapon looks like. <laughs> yeah. No problem. That's why I was helping you out, but yeah. And it's, it's green and it's hanging at his waist. So wicked takes a look at him for a second. And you can't tell if he's really noticed that you're being you know, worried about the formians or not, but after a second he turns away and he turns to, to Zev and he says, I imagine you have a great deal of experience with, with the flying machines. And go ahead and describe Zev for us, Mache. Zev is a warforged who accidentally took us to the future when we should have gone to the past. Um, nice job, but... you freaking robot. Sorry. <laughs> Be careful. Anyway, she's about, you know, six and a half feet tall. She's obviously an automaton. She's very human-like, but it's obvious she isn't because of the silver-gray um, casing that she's in. On her forehead, she has a transparent plate um, that projects runes through when she's in combat, and they come out in a deep golden color as they are used. The only part of her that really shows much more, much emotion are her dark purple eyes. Um, and that's, you know, that's the only part of her that really has the option of showing any emotion because she is a robot. She has a huge maul that she carries around with her. Sometimes she straps it to her back. Other times she sticks it into her awesome uh, chest because she has a bag of holding or whatever we're calling it. Um, that the she can handy have her hip. Yep, the handy haver hit. There we go. That she sticks pretty much anything she wants in there and it hangs out. So it depends on whether or not she feels challenged where she puts it. But much more than that, she's, you know, a lot older than she'll admit and is really sad that she screwed up as bad as she did. But you, you got to go with what you got. And so he, again, has asked you how you're, how you, if you had a lot of flying machines, so you're probably used to this, is what he seems to believe. Yeah. It's obviously been a long time since I've been in one, but it's, it's nice to be back in the air and seeing, seeing the land from, from up here instead of seeing it air, as damaged as it is. Airship technology was lost for a long time, but, but, but Wicket helped to discover it. Wicket and his brother... <laughs> We were able to help find it down in the ruins, so we're we're glad that it's back. What about you, um, elf maiden? And he kind of points over at Raven. What do you think of being in the air? You you seem kind of lost up here. And he points over at Raven. And go ahead and describe Raven for us. Um, Raven is a half elf in Volker. Um, she has longish red hair. 
um, takes more after her human mother than her elven father. Um, she has like chainmail, but over the chainmail, it kind of looks like almost peasant-ish garb um, because of what she had been doing before she got captured before the whole disaster that will be in the recap. Um, and then she's got this awesome weapon that is awesome. That's really all I can say about it. Big, thick. I mean, it's just, it's a straight staff um, made of sky metal. So it's got a burnished kind of gray sheen to it. And she just uses it like a walking stick for the most part, but it doesn't seem to bend. It doesn't seem to scratch. It's pretty impressive. So he kind of awesome. And he kind of watches Raven for a second and says, well, what do you, what do you think being in the air? Um, it, it's okay. I'm just so used to being on the ground. Um, uh, give me a little while to get used to it. I'm sure I'll, I'll sure I'm all for to love it. There's, sure. there's no reason to be on the ground. The ground is just, the ground is so slow. It's so much faster up here in the air. Everything is so, I mean, even with as ugly as it is down there, it's still way more beautiful than if you were walking through that. Plus we're making great time. Don't you think? And he nudges him. Oh, my whole mind just went blank. I apologize. He kind of nudges the leg of Scather. And he says, oh, I forgot how tall you were. He looks at him. Go ahead and describe Scather for us, Brig. Okay. Scather is a, um, for flavor of this world, he's a Sthra, Sthra, um, uh, Paladin. Uh, Sra are a giant kind of lizard type race in the normal D&D vernacular it would be the equivalent of a dragonborn. Um, uh, Scather in particular for his race is you know kind of tallish. I'm uh, ranging about 6 foot 10 like kind of towering over pretty much everyone except um, Zevra um, the uh, Warforged. Um, he has, um, red scaly, um, skin type texture, I, I guess, just like if you can imagine dragon scales, it would look something like that. <clears throat> um, and he has a, I guess the tail itself, his tail stretches out for probably three to four feet, uh, behind him. Um, and he kind of stands tall and pretty much everywhere he ever goes, he's kind of crouching over because the world around him just isn't designed for something his size. So true. He is carrying a war hammer and a shield on his shield is the dervish symbol, which is the God that he worships. Though, if you've listened to the recap episode, he discovered that that God is actually also a goddess to other societies. And he acquired some fancy schmancy armor that's made out of the same sky metal, kind of grayish burnished silver color that the armor that um, Zev wears and the staff that's being carried around by Raven. And so after he kind of looks at you and he says, sorry, I forgot how tall you were. Didn't mean to elbow you in the knee. He turns and he gives a very big smile to the remaining member of the party. And he says, been a long time since your father let you up in the air, hasn't it, Rose? Yeah, it has been a long time. It's just as fun as I remember. Go ahead and describe Rose for us. 
All right. Rose is a young female. Um, she's about 17 years old. She's a ranger. And she's coming up on her 18th birthday soon. And so she's uh, pretty proud of the fact that she's going to be coming of age. She's relatively tall and slender. She's probably about 5'9", weighs around 120 pounds. And she has a surprising strength behind it. Like, she doesn't look as strong as she actually is. Um, she's got short, auburn-colored hair that's just longer than her chin length. Um, she usually just keeps it tucked behind her ears to keep it out of her face. Um, in the sunlight, it, it's almost more reddish than brown. Um, she's got dark eyes and just kind of spunky. And I don't know, for as far as weapons, she... Um, she got a cool axe from her father last episode. It's the, is that the Caracol? I don't, I don't remember how to say it. Yep, Caracol. Caracol. Um, it's a pretty sweet weapon. And um, she mostly wears hide armor, a lot of greens and browns to kind of blend in with nature. And, yeah, I don't know what else to describe. Nope, that's good. So after a she second, can tell that she's really enjoying being in the air. She loves it. So Wicket smiles at her. Um, clearly Wicket's known her for a while. And then he says, well, that's the bridge. Um, I, I don't mean to sound rude, but having you on the bridge is kind of disturbing the Formians. And he's not looking at anybody other than Tom. Um, when he says that. It's pretty clear that most everybody else isn't really bugging the Formians, but something about Tom's presence is really kind of causing the Formians a little bit of grief. He says, but let me let me show you to your quarters and we'll, we'll get you up to the galley and we'll get some food in you because it's not going to be very long before we're up where we need to be uh, to go after your first artifact. So follow me. And he hits the button again and his little hydraulic lift comes up and he steps out onto it and he comes down and heads off and he moves pretty quick for a gnome those those little legs scurry and he moves you down some corridors and you you notice a lot of catwalks as you're walking you know there's there's big sections of just kind of empty space and he says don't don't worry about that you know you'll get used to it well you might not and he points at scather says you're kind of big we didn't design these catwalks with a straw in mind i apologize but you know we had to reduce the weight so solid flooring and things like that is just not good and he keeps walking and he says so here are your rooms and he says the girls can be over here and the the men can be over here. Sorry, not girls, women. I apologize. I know that I think girls when I see Rose because she's still not of age. But you men can be over here and you women can be over here. And he looks at Scather and he says, I'll have them bring up another bed. Um, <laughs> maybe we can make one big enough for you. I don't know. But for right now. Follow me. I don't think that you have too much to stash, but we need to get some food in you. It's important. And you can clue it. He's, he's excited. He's happy to be on the in the air again. And he heads off running down and pops into the um, to a couple of rooms and he shouts some things in that weird clicky tongue, which it's impressive to you that he's able to speak. And then he um, leads you down a few more corridors and pushes open the doors and you're standing in this big galley and there's only one table. Um, you assume there's only one table just because 
four means probably don't eat at a table. And he gestures around and he looks back up at Scather and he clicks a few things and some of the Formians run back and they grab this big barrel and they set it down for Scather and he says, that's the best we can do. Sorry. And he heads back and he gets some food for you. And the food is pretty utilitarian. Um, It's pretty flavorless, to be honest. It's obvious that the Formians don't cook for humanoids very often, but it's filling at the very least. And he says, well, I'm going to go back to the bridge. You guys talk for a bit. And when you're ready, head to your quarters and and get some rest. It's going to be a big day, big day. And he runs back out the door and leaves you guys sitting at a table with your very bland foodstuffs. Okay, so I'm just going to say one of our higher priorities in addition to recovering these artifacts, better food. (laughs) I can most assuredly agree with Tom on that point. Which I'm just, glad I'm not going to have to eat it. <laughs> just as How do you keep yourself going, Zebrai? That is ancient magic that keeps me going. Interesting. It's really not too bad when you get past all the bland. <laughs> all the blah. When you get, when you get <laughs> past the bland, what else fine. is there? <laughs> When you get it past the gag reflex, you really don't notice. So it's nourishment. I've, I'm pretty sure I've probably had worse in the village I used to live. So as an aside, out of character here, like what? Like I haven't talked with you much about this before, Eric. But like, what kind of food would I be expected to eat as a thra? Like I'm kind of um, a lizard man. Like I'm, I'm, desertish I, food. You de- probably eat a lot of rats, like cactus. big like. Rats and cactus. Yeah, I mean you are you are omnivorous, but I mean you also are probably very inclined to eat insects. Like in in the Great Expanse, there are really big scorpions and really big spiders. So when I see the bug people, should I be getting hungry? I'm... No, they... <laughs> no, that would. You just like hmm, formians. <laughs> I haven't had one of those since I was twelve. No, um. The Formians are kind of, they're unusual to you, just the way they articulate and the way they move. It just, it's unappetizing. Like, the fact that they're handling machinery and handling other things. Like, there's just something about it that makes you unappetized. But you get the feeling that as you're eating it, you're probably one of the few who actually likes what you're eating. Because it's got that very mealy kind of consistency that reminds you of staple desert fare. Okay. So you're actually probably okay with what you're eating because it's pretty clear that they've just sort of transposed for me in diet and maybe put a little salt on it. <laughs> okay. Mm, salts. I like salt personally. So, but <laughs> salt is awesome. Salt is salt is good for her. No, it's not actually. That's a lie. It's not good for you. <laughs> but anyway. Sad. Anyway. All right, so you guys are sitting at a table with <clears throat> the ability to be eating some of this very mealy consistency food stuff, and Scather appears to be digging into it fairly deeply. Um, 
you know, it's kind of clear he, he likes what he's eating. Um, you get the feeling you probably shouldn't ask what it is because you wouldn't like the answer. <laughs> but, would this be the kind of food that I would be used to, or is this even low standard for me? This is pretty low standard for you, even. Like, you've had this okay. before, shortly after the Formians joined, and you're not a stranger to Formians at all. Um, yeah. you know, for lack of a better term, like they're not treated as slaves or as servants, but they've integrated themselves as a labor class because that's what they knew. Like you were only really able to save workers and soldiers. They have a very hive mind mentality, the same way ant colonies and bee colonies do. So there is a queen, but she's very old and where they're really afraid because they haven't been able to locate a suitable mate who's going to be able to birth a new queen. So anyway, you are aboard an airship and are eating and probably are having a little bit of shock based upon the fact that you're now soaring over ground that when you last saw it was very green and is now not. And all around you, like you can tell you're at the outskirts, like kind of the external ring of the ship, um, because that transparent sort of skin is there on the walls, and you can kind of see through it, so you can see that you're still flying. Um, are there still uh, Formians in the airship, in the galley area where we are? There, um, They come in and out. Um, okay. Like, it's pretty clear they're working. You've got the, the chef drone is working in the back, you know, doing his wonderful magic with this mealy, consistencyed food that you're eating. Um, and occasionally they come out and they clean something. Like, it's pretty clear that the storage out here is not just culinary. Um, so they, they're in and out, but there's no one, like, standing there where you're looking at them and getting creeped out, and they're not looking at you and getting creeped out. Okay. For the most part, it's all it's all you guys. So as a reminder to me, because it has been a couple of weeks since we played last, um, we had we have the uh, four items that we're supposed to be going after. The Fane of Torment, the Crown of Greybeard, uh, the Ever-Burning Gem, mm -hmm. and the Crystal Crixor? The crystal of Crixor. Yeah. Okay, that's what I. Okay, I I can't remember out of the four items which one we decided to go because I remember you showing us the map and uh, vaguely I remember saying we were heading north. <laughs> you guys are headed for the Fang. Okay, right? we're heading for the Fang. Okay. So, um, did did Wicket walk off on us? Yeah, Wicket yeah. has gone okay. back to the bridge. He's right. he's very proud of being captain. Um. And so he's he's back to sit in his really big chair. Okay, because the one thing I was thinking my character wants to know right now is, like, he's getting food in his belly. He's feeling good about it. He kind of wants to know, like, how much of a journey we've got ahead of us just to get to the first location. Like, are we going to be there within the hour? Are we going to be, like, on the ship? Rose would probably day? know. Does Rose know? Yeah, Rose can tell you it's going to be... Flying at the average cruising speed that the airship that, that the Whippoorwill can fly at, it's probably going to take you about three days, and that's pretty good considering you're crossing the continent. Okay. It's going to be about three days. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, I I never got to ask the question awesome. officially, but you know. <laughs> so um, here we go in character. So. What 
should we do until we arrive at our location? I mean, I, I, I don't know what to do with myself other than eat right now. <laughs> Which, to be fair, he's done a lot of already. I'm starving. Come on. <laughs> I, my last meal was, what, a thousand years ago? <laughs> Tom has probably eaten maybe two-thirds of his bowl and just wordlessly slides it over to Skater. <laughs> I, I, I can imagine that Skater doesn't even really like bat an eye. He just picks it up and starts, you know, he's got that one big claw on the one finger and he's just sort of a thing. He's just really, he's into this stuff. <laughs> I have a feeling you'll be eating a lot of my leftovers there, my my friend. That's fine with me. <laughs> I should also point out that I kind of snore. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, question about um, where Rose was from. I, I'm not sure. I didn't really think about it much in my background. Um, has she been around a lot of other women? No. Because I kind of think she wants to talk to Raven. Yeah, she's, she's not been. Um, women are kept very separate for, you know, you're in a war, you're a resistance. Women are very much a distraction at this point in time. So they're not, you know, the the fighter ones, I'm not saying that they can't fight. Like, don't. Yeah. Let's not get horrible emails. Oh my gosh, the DM's sexist. No, I'm not. <laughs> but um, no. That's why I want to verify because I kind of figured that that was the case, but I didn't want to assume anything. You are you are okay with these women because these women have that very strong sense of I know what I'm after, I know what I want, I can handle myself in combat. You know, even with as meek as Raven comes across, like you get this if. Like, for example, one of them had been a noble who'd never gotten her hands dirty. You wouldn't be able to handle that because to you, that's just unthinkable. But no, the women that you have been around, the few that there are, um, are working class, you know, kind of hardcore women. Okay. So they're hardcore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Did anybody bring games to the shindig? I mean, I know we just escaped, but it would have been nice, don't you think? Uh, it definitely would have been. Unfortunately, I don't think that um, my my own race. I don't think that the Sathra, the Sathra. Bleh, I can't ever say that word. The Sathra could. Uh, actually ever have time for playing games it's not something i could see just from what i know about us that we would do but <laughs> but yeah um um the in, the only person in your party who probably might have had games is enna and you know she's not here so dang it um, enna <laughs> she, she did have to go off and run away into the woods at just the wrong time I mean, come on, this would have been a lot of fun if she had been here. She could entertain us for the next three days while we're flying, too, you know. <laughs> More likely she would use cutting words and insult you and sure. make you feel bad about yourself. She was really good at that. Yeah, remember when she did she this that one time in the middle of combat and it hit me? <laughs> and so as you're all kind of discussing things and 
um, Raven's kind of walking around looking to see if there's anything she can use to invent kind of a rudimentary elvish child game. Um, this very loud klaxon starts sounding. I mean, think Star Trek Red Alert and then amplify the noise by like four. And it's just blaring through the entire ship. And the Formians kind of that are in the room stop and start rushing around and Wicket's voice comes over a loudspeaker and the klaxon cuts out just long enough for his voice and he's like um um heroes I guess that's what we'll call you uh, to the bridge please to the bridge now and then it cuts out it's pretty clear he's panicked and you start getting the klaxon again Boop. I believe we Boop. are needed Boop. I rush toward the bridge and um, so I'm I'm guessing most of you follow Rose. There is not <laughs> far behind. <laughs> I I guess this will do for a game. So <laughs> take off or run as you're running through the catwalks, and I mean, and Scather's having a hard time. And those of you who got behind Scather are a little bit sad that you didn't get in front of him because he's clunk. he's uh, you know having a <laughs> leaning over ginormous tail tail's got you know three feet and he's tried to pull it up like he does a pretty good job of keeping it upright um but for the most part he's just hustling along as best he can and uh, eventually um after some very close calls of almost being knocked off by a tail over the edge of a catwalk down to the catwalk below it which they've been nice enough to kind of stair step the catwalks a little bit so if you fall off one you only have about maybe a seven foot fall and then you land on another one usually um so that's at least nice for if you fall on accident but you eventually reach the bridge and the bridge is just bathed in this red light and wicked is not sitting in his chair anymore his chair is in full spin and he's turning and he's pointing and clicking at various um Formians, and he spins the chair and faces you, and he says, "We're under attack. I don't know how, but we're the cloaking device must not be functioning." And he spins and he says, "Look!" And the screen kind of flashes for a second. You know, whatever magical optic device is on the outside pans out, and you see these three craft. And what the craft look like is there's this big crystal in the center. It's kind of a like, if you lift up your die 20 and you look at it, and if any of you have a crystal die 20, that's actually a perfect example for you. Um, and each crystal is this fluorescent kind of pinkish color. And um, these little arcs of energy are coming out to this ring, and this ring is spinning around it. And you would imagine um, that the ring was providing the lift, but then there's these big... Feathered is not the right word because they're not made of feathers, but they have a very, you know, angel wing sort of consistency to them. Like just their shape is very cherub, but they're made of that same kind of arcing energy. And there's very clearly a small crystalline framework inside of that energy that's conducting it. And those wings are moving very, very, very quickly. And they are gaining on the whippoorwill. And you watch as from around that ring, um, the ring starts spinning and the spinning ring launches off these little shards of crystal that start whistling for the whippoorwill and you um, are able to feel 
them, you know, for lack of a better term, you feel them going past, like the whippoorwills, quote-unquote, inertial dampers um, don't function super well at this velocity. And so you kind of are jilted. Like, you know, if you get passed by a semi on the freeway and your car, and you're in a tiny car, your car kind of rocks a little bit. That's the feeling you're getting as these things zoom back and forth around you. And he says, collision incoming after some loud clicking from one of the um, Formians. And he says, get down. And you watch as he ducks down in his chair and you feel this really loud, feel this really loud. You hear this really loud crashing and kind of tearing sound and the entire ship bucks forward and... Um, those of you who don't have tails and not Rose, because Rose instantly sat down as soon as she heard the words were under attack, because it's pretty clear she knows that this thing doesn't necessarily have the best attitude control when it's at combat speeds, um, are kind of thrown forward very battle scene in a Star Trek movie style. And you guys are tossed to the floor, and Wicket looks down and he says, quickly, sit somewhere and he's 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 having a little bit of a freak out at this point and you're now being surrounded by these there's again three of these kind of bug-like craft attacking you very nice i'm hungry that's great i'll just eat the bugs (laughs) (laughs) big giant bugs best thing ever Made out of crystal and lightning. Yeah. <laughs> you make it sound like I should be worried. Yeah. Just Is this going to be like the funnel cakes for Scather? Mm, funnel cakes. <laughs> Heavens, I hope not. <laughs> so, uh, Tom is looking cakes. around at these things and trying to figure out what he can do to personally fight them. Um, as Tom kind of gets a good look, like the the screen pans around, um, imagine that the optic sensor, um, like as you were coming in, you may have noticed and you may have not, but like imagine like an eye of Kilrog type thing, just this floating optic sensor spinning around on the top, and that's what's providing your view screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going nuts, so you're getting a little bit of vertigo as it's spinning around, but it pans over and one of these things is coming straight at the whippoorwill. Um, and just as you see that crystal, like you hear that unintelligible, horrible scream inside of your brain that you've now discovered is the Kezrakai. And you're kind of driven to your knees as you're forced to combat that presence inside of your brain. And you know instantly what it is that's flying these ships. Which is there? There is there is some kind of Kezrakai magic involved in this particular in these constructs. Whether there are actual Kez, you know, lesser Kezrakai aboard, or whether they've just been enchanted by Kezrakai magics, you're not really sure. But your brain is on fire right now. Like you're just you're in a lot of pain. Tom drops to his knees and. He, he doesn't really scream, but he more like goes, ah, you know, that sort of thing, except, you know, more pain. <laughs> pain! Wilhelm. Pain! Um, but so you, you all kind of look around, and Tom's just clutching at his forehead, and he's down on his knees at this point. 
So what kind of options do we have? Is there any sort of defense system that we can be like? Um, you're, you're assuming that the, the Formians are manning those. Um, and you can see that there are small bursts of energy being launched out from the Whippoorwill. But um, you know, Rose, that this, this isn't a warship. Like, this is a transport vessel, which may have been a silly option to have sent you in, but Wicket was excited to be captain. So you may have taken off without all the necessary equipment for this particular journey, but at the same time, you were supposed to be cloaked. You didn't know what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you're able to see a couple of consoles that have sort of a targeting reticule on them that are open, and so you, you would be able to sit at one of those and maybe try and figure it out um, to see if maybe you can start launching some attacks. But at eventually, um, within, and it's, I mean, we're talking a matter of seconds. Like, this is very fast-paced. Wicket turns to you and he says, We've, they've locked on! And um, you get the impression that he was saying that kind of preemptively because then you feel the big jolt. And he says, we're being boarded! Quickly! And he runs over to a map and he kind of gestures you all over and he walks over and grabs Tom's arm and he's kind of dragging him toward um, to the to the panel and he points and there's this flashing sort of map um, on it and he says, there! They're coming through there! And there's this big pulsing red, like all of those horrible prescription commercials where it's like, where are you having pain? And like the big red glowing <laughs> person. Like that's exactly <laughs> what's happening. Um, it's just this big red glowing section. Um, and it looks like based upon like the you are here symbol that's there on the map. Um, it's about three decks down. Um and he says, you, you need to go there. That's that's the power distribution area. They're coming aboard. They're going to take us down. Quickly! And he doesn't even wait for a response. He just hurries back over and he kind of takes this running leap at his chair and he doesn't quite make it. So you get this slightly comical, despite the incredible tension that's in the room. <laughs> um, so he kind of scrambles up onto his chair and he takes a look around to see if anybody's noticed and spins it back toward the front and starts issuing clicks and punching buttons really hard again. Okay. So... I take off at a dead sprint toward the red dot. Yeah. Like, if everybody follows me, that's cool, but... I'm not far I'm... behind her. I grab Tom before I take off and help drag him along, because he's obviously still in pain. <laughs> nope. There's this very definite loud clink, 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 as it's <laughs> down the catwalks. Um... And, you know, it takes you a little bit. You take a couple wrong turns, but eventually you can smell smoke and you can feel um, just the heat in the air as whatever this is has burned a hole through um, that translucent skin that covers the outside of the whippoorwill. And as you sprint down this ramp, and I'm assuming that we've got, excuse me, at this point, just based upon where you're running, I'm assuming that it was... Scather and Zev and then um, Tom and probably Rose are right there and then Raven's going to be in the back just because of the fact that Scather's carrying Tom. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Band of Misfits podcast. You can join us again next time when we continue on into the battle here on the airship and you'll see what our intrepid heroes get up to. If you'd like to find out more about the show you can follow us um, 
on Twitter, twitter.com slash Podcast, or you can check out our website at bandofmisfitspodcast at blogspot.com. If you have any questions or would like to email us, you can email questions and feedback to bandofmisfitspodcast at gmail.com. That's going to wrap it up for us. We'll see you next time with the Band of Misfits.